Alright and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, a show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares some of our own winners in pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host Lee Carlos Cunningham, all on my own and there's actually no battle to compare against today so my intro, including the music, is a complete fraud and phony so everybody can have their money back if they'd like for this one but I'm actually going to change lanes a little bit. Um, a little while back I did a Before the War episode where I looked at an old Survivor series. Basically I was waiting on content being up Uploaded to the new streaming partner over here in Australia and didn't want the podcast to be on hold. And I got a bit of a taste for just being able to pick and choose whatever I felt like watching at the time and doing it on review and decided I'd go back today and review the first ever show that I ever watched, the show that got me hooked on wrestling and just see if it still holds up. I have over the years watched this back to um, back a few times. I had it on VHS for a long time and then obviously I've had the network for many years in its various iterations, but thought it would be a good time to sit down, put pen to paper and see whether or not this show holds up to the nostalgia that I've got for it. That show is SummerSlam 1988. Yes, the first ever SummerSlam. And I would have watched this. I'm racking my brain for the exact memory. I remember exactly where I watched it, sorry, but trying to put it in the right time frame. So obviously when this show dropped, I would have been four years old. I'm not sure sure whether or not I watched it like in the immediate aftermath, six months later when the VHS released, but I know where I was when I watched it, how I watched it, and I know that I was hooked on wrestling from then on. And I've done some sort of researching in my brain this last week to try and narrow that memory down. And I I remember like my most vivid memories are watching the 91 like warrior run moving to australia right before SummerSlam 91 and i remember watching the 91 rumble and wrestlemania 7 on sky in england and i thought is it possible that i watched it years later but then in going back and really testing my memory and trying to think about like what are my earliest wrestling memories i remember having the ljn bendy's um figures i didn't realize there was a bigger version of these at the time i would have been very very young and I'm thinking back and I'm like, well, I had Corporal Kirshner, I had Nikolai Volkov, I had um, JYD, George Animal Steel. I didn't have any of the top guys, by the way. Ricky Steamboat, I think, was the biggest name that I actually had. But I had a good dozen of these, Brutus Beefcake. And I'm like, mm, yeah, it's possible that I got them later. But I also vividly remember going to the store for the first ever Hasbro series, which obviously dropped in 1990, being disappointed they didn't have Hogan, but being ecstatic that I walked out with Andre and the Warrior. So I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I probably watched this sometime in very late 1988, but more likely sort of early-ish 1989. And then picked up the fandom from there um it wouldn't be a big shock for a five-year-old to not really know how to get a hold of the next period and maybe my parents at the time would have just got me the next vhs or rented one from the video shop but eventually we've got sky and found out that superstars and challenge and things like that are on saturday and sunday mornings and began really going heavily from there sort of a, you know a year or so down the line Anyway, that's a really long-winded introduction to my fandom, but it does set the table for what we're watching, and since we're only reviewing one show, this will probably be a slightly shorter episode than some, and we've got the time to chat. Giving you some details on the show, so obviously um, SummerSlam 88 was the first ever SummerSlam, as I mentioned, August 29th, 1988, coming from Madison Square Garden, and this just seemed like the greatest place on earth watching this at the time. An attendance of 20,000 is listed, I'm not sure if that's exact, but it was a sold-out garden, and the thing felt huge. Like, honestly, other than 
some very, very brief childhood memories of going to Main Road to watch Manchester City, like this event, watching this on TV, felt like the biggest spectacle on the planet to a, a you know a four or five year old at the time. And um, looking back now, it was a pretty huge deal, and there was a ton of people there, so that part of it did really hold up. This show as well, one of the other benefits to going back and watching something that you've got deep, deep nostalgia for is I think a lot of wrestling podcasts, mine included, not taking away from that, tend to watch old wrestling and pick it apart and it makes for good laughs and, you know, some cynicism and whatnot, but it's it's kind of nice to go back and just watch something that you really enjoyed, so if the sweet, sweet positivity that you don't normally get from me is a bit sickly and revolting, feel free to check out at some point, but there's going to be a lot of um, really good nostalgia and happy feelings for me in this show, and that was why I'm like, you know what, my podcast, I, if I want to watch a show just because I really love it, then maybe that's a different angle, not too many people do that. I've got tons of 96 stuff coming. It looks like some more pay-per-views have been uploaded in the last week or two, so I can kickstart that again. I've been, not going to lie, I've been delaying. I don't want to be, you know, way doing three or four episodes and then waiting months for the next pay-per-view to upload and frustrated. So I've been dipping in and out and doing different things. But yeah, needless to say, that's coming back soon. But for now, we're just going to look at something really awesome that has very, very happy memories for me. And if you would like to join me on a trip down memory lane, please do so. WWF, what the world is watching. Welcome to New York City and welcome to Madison Square Garden, the site of some of sports and entertainment's greatest events of all time. And here we are in this site for the World Wrestling Federation's SummerSlam 88. And the one thing I believe that overshines the appearance of Jesse the Body as a special guest referee is the return of Hulk Hogan, my personal friend and hero, the man I call the man with the bionic bicep. His return tonight. Well, the big one we're all waiting for, the Mega Bucks taking on the Mega Powers. This thing is going to end once and for all, perhaps. It is a vendetta on the part of Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage as they take on Ted DiBiase and the eighth wonder of the world, Andre the Giant. Somebody could get put out of commission here. Yes, I got no question about it, Gorilla Monsoon. Someone's gonna go down, go down hard, and maybe go down permanently, brother. I hope it's a giant and a million dollar man. 
if you're listening along there, you will realise that this was indeed a happening. Yeah, this is that show for anyone that has vague memories of it, but Gorilla with the It's a Happening count getting started early, <laughs> it does um, it does get pretty repetitive after a while, but it's actually also hilarious for those of us with good memories of this show. Um, Superstar Billy Graham on colour commentary there with him. This has had mixed reviews over the years, anytime I've watched anyone or listened to anyone talk about this show, but I genuinely enjoyed Superstar and Gorilla as a team. I don't think they were the most polished, but they were certainly like... It, it was totally fine. Jesse Ventura is obviously involved in the main event, as you would have heard there. But yeah, as far as a, a replacement color commentator, I thought Billy Graham was pretty decent. You also might have heard, if you were keenly listening there while they were chatting away, some things that you don't really see anymore, but like the countdown to the pay-per-view taking place, you would have heard it like a, um, a cold intro so no music for the fabulous rujos they were the ones being booed if you could hear the crowd as well we'll actually later on in the show um take a break sort of for intermission which is kind of spliced down they don't say it's intermission but some things really give it away while you're watching and listening to what's going on in the background gorilla and and billy graham sort of have the arena to their back i'm assuming it's it's green screen and that what's going on in the arena was playing behind them but it might not be i'm not 100 percent sure there and you'll obviously have heard that our main event is the Mega Powers taking on the Mega Bucks. So that's Ted DiBiase and Andre the Giant, the Mega Bucks, with Virgil and Bobby Heenan in their corner, taking on the Mega Powers, Randy Savage, the WWF Champion, and Hulk Hogan, with Miss Elizabeth in their corner. Huge main event. Um, and this started a run. The first two SummerSlams actually had big tag team main events, um, both featuring Savage and Hogan as well. But that seemed to be the way they were going with this to open. And it obviously doesn't carry on down that way over the years. SummerSlam, this being the first iteration, becomes one of the big four and then the big five before monthly pay-per-views take over. So for a while, it was WrestleMania, then Survivor Series started a little bit before this in 1987. SummerSlam comes this year in 88 and the Rumble, I believe, starts the next year in 89. I'm always fuzzy about the Rumble, which one was on pay-per-view and which one was on TV because the first one was a TV special. But I think there was an 88 Rumble and then 89, the Rumble becomes a pay-per-view from memory. So yeah, they were the big four, and then in 93, we introduced King of the Ring, and that goes for a couple of years before we start getting the in-your-house shows and monthly pay-per-views, and there's no longer really um, defined parts of the calendar you can look forward to for feud blow-offs and whatnot. Anyway, the first match here is the Fabulous Rougeau Brothers taking on the British Bulldogs. If you haven't um, heard this story, like the, the story behind them, backstage rather than the the storyline going on in the ring you should definitely check it out it's a fascinating one the rougeos um and the bulldogs had a real life feud it led to some some real bad feelings some you know ribs be i think some ribs that were maybe the done by kurt hennig being blamed on the bulldogs and then there was a, a few altercations including i think jacques knocking out dynamite kids teeth and yeah it's um it's a fascinating one which i think the you know the culmination or like the the last part of the story takes place at the survivor series after this um that i know of anyway so yeah definitely go and check that out i don't know i, I don't know it well enough to tell it off the top of my head but it's a fascinating one and um yeah well worth reading Rougeau's offer the hand to the Bulldogs early on, which is not accepted. Davy Boy attacks. And then we've got Jacques Rougeau scurrying away and going over to Raymond. They have a big hug to some heel heat from the crowd. 
We get the referee gets between Davy Boy Smith and Ray Rougeau in the corner, and as they're coming up, Ray Rougeau with a cheap shot, that classic spot we've all seen a million times, but as a kid, this really wowed me. Um, Dynamite Kid in with a big shoulder block. I noticed the apron actually says SummerSlam 88, and I found that a bit odd because it's the first ever SummerSlam, so them labeling it um, that way early was interesting that maybe they did have plans on making this a yearly spectacular. Dynamite Kid with a clothesline that nearly decapitates Ray Rougeau. Um, it's all Bulldogs here early. We finally get Jacques Rougeau tripping Davy Boy from the floor, and they take over a bit of control, a good wishbone double-team spot, and some heat on Davy Boy. We get a hot tag to Dynamite, who hits a snap suplex, a back suplex. Davy Boy Smith hits his patented power slam, but the fall is interrupted. They get some heat on Dynamite here, and the crowd are really into this. It's awesome to see some good double teaming, and then the crowd pop for a small package um, out of the heat like it's a title change. Honestly, the crowd are really pumped. We get a hot tag to Davy Boy this time, and he presses uh, one of the Rougeos, but crutches him on the top rope. We get a four-man brawl. Davy Boy Smith presses Dynamite Kid onto Jacques Rougeau, and the bell goes. We have a time limit draw. Um, this was a really great opener. We end, by the way, they all... Both teams get in the ring and it looks like they're asking for more time and the Rougeau sucker punch the Bulldogs and run off. Anyway, what I was saying, this is a really great opener. And the thing I like about this, and your mileage may vary and you may disagree, but the time limit just was a bell out of nowhere. I hate the NWA version of time limit draws where they, five minutes have elapsed in the fall, five minutes have elapsed, 10 minutes have elapsed in the fall, 10 minutes. And you know in the matches where they do that, it's going to be a time limit draw. They basically give away the finish in the first five minutes. This, you just didn't see it coming and the bell just went out of nowhere. And... <clears throat> it might be a bit of an anticlimax having no finish in the first op you know in the opener of a pay-per-view but i guess it was a bit more novel at the time and yeah really enjoyed this well worth going and checking out and a hot opener to start SummerSlam. After this opener, we go to what Gorilla Monsoon tells us will be some exciting footage and um <laughs> yeah this was uh, outlaw Ron Bass carving the shit out of Brutus Barber Beefcake's head in the middle of the ring. My memory when I had this on v like the pay-per-view VHS is they put this big red X over it, which they do here. Like it's basically like a big censored sign. Um, but also there was this weird like whirring sound on it. It was like, rawr, rawr, rawr. like they just kept going over and over the footage and that sound for whatever reason, I don't know if it was a mistake on the VHS or if it was intentional, that's not here. And we actually get Vince and Jesse's commentary and I don't, believe from memory we had the commentary we just sort of saw the clip with the weird noise over the top on vhs but again that could have been like a fault in my video or, or whatnot i don't really know needless to say the angle here is that the beef the, the beefcake barber one of my zeus <laughs> the beefcake barber is out of the ic title match with the honky tonk man on the pay-per-view and there'll be a mystery partner we don't a um, mystery opponent we don't know who that is from there, we go to our next matchup, which is Bad News Brown versus Ken Patera. This is one that my memory had told me was actually a bit of a dud, so we'll see if it holds up. Bad News has a jobber entrance, and he jumps Ken Patera on his entrance and slams him. Patera comes back with a clothesline. He looks like Richard Simmons in an America outfit. Um, this is, yeah, he does not look like a superstar to me. He gets a back elbow and a slam before Bad News goes into a bit of a basic beatdown. Patera comes back with a clothesline for a two and a backbreaker for a two. I actually like Billy Graham on commentator commentary here. I mentioned it at the start of the show, but yeah, I made a note during listening that he's pretty good. Maybe it's just nostalgia. 
we get a um a good exchange between Gorilla and Superstar, and I'll try and splice a little bit of that in and see if you guys like think that the commentary is actually pretty decent for the time, or if you think I'm off my head here and it's terrible. Way down, I got some serious leverage going for myself. Patera needs to drop to some knees, brother. Stuck a finger right in the eye. I don't care how powerful you are. Well, he got his head up. He got his head. He got his head up so he could reach his eye, Gorilla Monsoon. That was a mistake Patera made in the bear hug. He got his head up. Oh, look at this going for the full Nelson. Almost got it. Oh no, he's turned around. And whoa, bad news right to the ropes immediately. Oh, bad news is trying to avoid that like the plague, man. Oh, he didn't want any part of that. Patera, second turn, buckle on the inside, bombs away. Right on the back of the neck. And he's given the sign for that full Nelson once again. He nailed it. If he gets those fingers locked, forget about it. Didn't make it. I think he's got to go for some more battering on the bad news, man. He's going to kick him. He's going to stop him. He's going to hurt the man some more. The man's too strong. He's making a move for the rope. Every time the full Nelson goes on, bad news has enough in him to make it to the ropes. That's you get uh, Patera clue right there. Irish whip in by Kenny. Whoa, he put his head down as well. I guess the punishing blows are taking their toll now. Yes, yeah, so maybe it's just me, but um, superstar Billy Graham explaining that it's too early to be going for a submission hold and what he's got to do to try and soften him up a little bit. I don't know. I thought it was totally fine, and he just brings good energy to the show. So maybe, maybe the nostalgia goggles let me know. Anyway, as the match goes on. Bad news keeps avoiding the full Nelson. Kempatera eventually goes to like run and charge bad news in the corner who gets out of the way. Um, Kempatera takes his shoulder to the post and as he's staggering up, bad news Brown hits him with the ghetto blaster for the one, two, three. And I'll be honest, this match was better than I remember it. There's um three or four matches on this show that I remember being a bit of a dud and this was one of them. And I'm going to revoke that and say that this actually was decent, passable. Second match on a pay-per-view did its job. No problem whatsoever from me. From there, we go backstage to Mean Gene Oakland with the Mega Powers and their secret weapon, Elizabeth. Really put him away. Right now, let's go to the Mega Powers. All right, Tahita Saad here at SummerSlam 88. This awesome twosome, the Mega Powers, later on tonight, here to meet the Mega Bucks, comprised of Andre the Giant and the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Hulk Hogan, I know you're ready. Well, you know me, Gene. They've already made a believer out of me, man. A couple hours before the match, you can already feel Madison Square Garden rumbling, brother. I know what Hulkamania feels like. I know what the Macho Madness feels like. But together as one, that's the Mega Powers. We definitely are the strongest force in the universe, and the dude here is going in with a clear conscience. I've never built so much electricity. Oh, yeah, I'm talking the mania and the madness together. There's the mega powers, yeah, and besides that, means in Oakland, oh, yeah, we have a secret weapon. Oh, yeah. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on, gentlemen. Secret weapon. Yeah. 
This is this is the first lady of wrestling, Elizabeth. That's the secret weapon. You better believe it, Mean Gene. You don't think we go into this thing without the 24-inch pythons loaded, brother. We've got Elizabeth, our secret weapon, and the last thing those megabucks are gonna see is the kiss of death, Mean Gene. Oh my ladies and gentlemen, stand what by are for this gonna one. do when the mega powers come running through. No way to stop us, <laughs> uh, no way. <laughs> yeah! Mega powers indeed ready with their secret weapon. Let's go to our ring announcer. From here we go to our next match, which is ravishing Rick Rude with Bobby Heenan taking on the JYD. Rick Rude cuts a classic Rick Rude promo and one that I like could memorize and like recite to this day, which I'll splice in here. Yeah, yeah, here we go again, man. We gotta set to it one more time, brother. What I'd like to have right now is for all you fat, ugly, inner city sweat hogs, keep the noise down while I take my robe off and show the ladies what a real sexy man looks like. Hit the music. Rick Rude then's ready for action against the JYD. He has JYD airbrushed on his tights, which looks really cool here. Junkyard Dog comes out and gets a huge backdrop and some crawling headbutts before Rude comes back with a top rope axe handle. Rick Rude gets a bit of a lengthy beatdown, including Bobby Heenan distracting the dog so Rude can stay on offense. He goes up top, pulls down one set of tights to expose another, and Cheryl Roberts are on these tights. He comes off the top with a fist drop, and almost instantly after hitting the move, Jake the Snake comes out and nails him. Um, This makes it a disqualification finish, and Jake stays in the ring apologizing to the JYD afterwards. Overall, not a bad match here. JYD didn't really do it for me. Um, This was obviously really towards the tail end of his Fed run, so... I probably miss the hoopla and the craze around him, but at this point in the show, this was the worst match, and by no means was it bad. It was pretty short, and Rick Rude is, is decent, but um, not one that held really high nostalgia for me, and not one that held up too too much watching it here either. From here, we go across to Mean Gene Oakland with the Honky Tonk Man, and this is a great classic promo from Honky. Oakland with the reigning Intercontinental Champion, the Honky Tonk Man. All right, some rather shocking news here at SummerSlam 88. Brutus the Barber Beefcake, because of injury, unable to challenge the Intercontinental Champion, the Honky Tonk Man, tonight. I don't know if that makes you happy or not, Jimmy Hart. Let me tell you something, baby. We're always happy. You see, Brutus is smart. He knows the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time is the Honky Tonk Man. I knew something like this was going to happen. I knew Brutus the Barber Beefcake wasn't going to wrestle the greatest Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion of all time. But the Honky Tonk Man, being the humanitarian that I am, I'd say, World Wrestling Federation, give me anybody. Let me have somebody oh, to wrestle. Wait a minute. You will be defending the Intercontinental title here tonight oh, in yes, Madison Square Garden. And there is rumor afloat right now that a very formidable man will be stepping into the ring with you tonight to challenge you for that title. That man happens no, to be... No, don't you say who it is because I don't want him to know. I don't want anybody to know because I want to surprise everybody. I want this to be the wait, biggest... Wait, wait a minute. This man has extraordinary physical capabilities and, and very excited about... About oh, this opportunity. Oh, so he is not don't, other you, th- don't you say who it is. I said I wanted to surprise him because I don't care who it is. See, the honky-tonk man, the greatest intercontinental heavyweight champion of all time, 
can shake, rattle, and roll anybody the WWF throws at me. And you like surprises? I love them. I want them. All right, Jimmy Hart and, of course, the Intercontinental Champion, the Honky Talk Band. They're going to be part of SummerSlam 88 right here. From here, we go to our next match, which is the Bolsheviks taking on the powers of pain. Um, love <laughs> the classic Bolsheviks trying to sing the Russian national anthem. First time I ever saw that was here. They were obviously managed by Slick at the time, which was a bit of a... I think Griller on commentary even pointed out that's a bit of a weird association there. Powers of pain managed by the Baron, aka Baron Von Raschke. Um, my first exposure to all these guys, they come out... Um, Four-man brawl to start with, um, and then a pop on a double clothesline from the Powers of Pain. We get a big belly-to-belly -belly suplex from the Warlord before the heels start double-teaming the Warlord for a little bit. We get a Borisukov snapmare and a Nikolai Volkov spin kick. Love the big Nikolai spin kick to the belly. <laughs> we get a hot tag to Barbarian who cleans house with a slam and a super kick, a big boot, and then hits the faces with a double... Uh, sorry, the faces hit a double-team shoulder block. Warlord hits a running power slam and Barbarian goes up top for the top rope headbutt for the one, two, three. This was a bit of a squash, but a nice entertaining one. The powers of pain have some really good high impact offense and made this look good. And the Bolsheviks did a good job here, looking, making the powers of pain look like destroyers. We then come to our dick move of the week, and it's whoever the hell booked this Brother Love show here. <laughs> it's Brother Love with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and this is one of those things from, like, memory as a kid was awful, and watching it back as an adult, it was even worse. It was just so annoying. Um, it takes an absolute ice age and just, yeah, bores the shit out of me <laughs> and puts a big, like, screeching brakes on the show because the show here was really hot. Like, um, matches we've seen so far, all really good. Oh, no. All really good for the most part. Show's entertaining, and this one, yeah, just it really just drags it right down. From the really low point of the show, though, we go to the absolute epic high point of the show for me, and this was something I was so excited to watch again. It's the Intercontinental Champion, the Honky Tonk Man, as you heard earlier, in a title defense against the surprise opponent. And that surprise opponent announces, announced from Howard Finkel after some delay with the music playing is the ultimate warrior. Um, warrior comes out so fast that he actually knocks Fink off the apron who's trying to exit the ring. And he's slower than the warrior running to the ring and hitting the ropes for the first time. Hits a clothesline, a body slam, a shoulder block, another clothesline, and the big splash for the one, two, three. And this is the moment right here where I became a wrestling fan for life. This year, the Ultimate Warrior coming out, catching the Honky Tonk Man who's not even gotten out of his jumpsuit, pinning him for the Intercontinental title with a absolute raucous Madison Square Garden crowd losing their minds. This was it for me, and this was what made me a wrestling fan. So um, not often you get to really wax lyrical about something you loved, and it holds up, and you go back and watch it, and you just get all the goosebumps and all the nostalgia flowing back in, but this is that moment for me. So if you've never seen this, go and watch it and see if you can figure out why it got me as you know hooked as it did. We then have a repeat of the opening video. Um, you would have heard the music from it, but there's no words to the opening video package. It's just that... Da, 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 with the mega powers and mega bucks, you know, sort of still shots and stuff playing over it. And that, for now, will take us to the halfway point of the show. Now, why did you do it? You know you got the mad fat fluid when you rhyme. It's halftime. Right, right, right. 
I'm speaking a lot on this episode about things that I loved and going back and watching them. So I'm going to just quickly uh, quell all the positivity and hit you with a few things that I remember being terrible that I haven't got to rewatch yet that I will possibly one day review and decide if they're as bad as I remember. First thing I'm going to go with is Hacksaw Jim Duggan turning his back on America and becoming part of Team Canada in WCW. I don't know how much of that I actually watched because I really wasn't a WCW fan, um, particularly in the Attitude Era, Monday Night Wars um, years. But this is something that, you know, my brother and I have made fun of for what is it, 20, 30 years now, and if either one of us ever says to the other, naughty hacksaw, this is exactly what we're talking about when we just made fun of the outrage on Jim Duggan turning his back on America 20 years after anyone ever gave a shit about Jim Duggan, so um, this is one of those moments that we will always laugh at to this day, we'll see if um, that's as bad when I do eventually get there, which I believe I will on the timeline. One that I'm not sure I'll review for, for the timeline, but it might just get a solo review like this, is um, Jameson with the Bushwhackers at Royal Rumble 92 to take on the Beverly Brothers. I just remember um, an altercation with the genius and him looking in the camera going, he hit me! And just thinking, like, who thought this was worthy of being put on television? I think the guy comes out with, like, uh, like a, a gym sock tucked into the pocket of his suit where like a pocket square would be and like taped up glasses and, you know, dirty old shoes. And it's just like, this is not funny. Who thinks this is funny? Like it has to be Vince, right? But yeah, that was just stuff that is so bad. I'm not really sure if the, if the I think it's uh, the 92 Rumble is obviously considered one of the greatest of all time, but Jameson might stop me reviewing it just in case. We'll see how we go. Another one that's so bad it's good from the Monday Night Wars is Mark Henry's date with China. Um, nothing bad about Mark Henry and China like both those guys, but it's the actors they used. Sorry, yeah, the actors they used um, coming up and, and trying to hit on China. And I think, what was the line? It's like, yo, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you, bitch. What did you call me? I said, bitch. <laughs> Just like so bad it's good and hilarious and um another very quotable moment that i've held on to for many many years i'm gonna hit you with a controversial one out of left field that many people would disagree with but the three stages of hell match between triple h and Shawn michaels i think from armageddon i just remember that taking like an hour and just being bored shitless by it and it was like i can't believe people think this is great wrestling like um i wasn't a huge fan of the original three stages of hell between triple h and stone cold and that's considered a classic by many people but i just think it just went way too long and the Shawn michaels um triple h one didn't have anywhere near the heat that austin and triple h did for me so i remember that being just ungodly long and feeling like it went for a week to watch that match so i'm interested i will probably at some point go back and review that because that is definitely a hot take from me here um but yeah i thought i'd throw something out there that might surprise you the last thing i remember being terrible is the entire nwa angle in the wwf in 1998 um i'm obviously not up to 98 yet and that is so so nostalgic for me so i'll be interested to see if that holds water over that's truly awful when i get to that as well I'll keep it to the five today, but there's a few things that I remember being poor as opposed to SummerSlam 88, which I remember being amazing. So keen to hear if anyone else thinks they were really bad or when I get there watching and seeing whether or not they really are as bad as I remember. Anyway, back to the show. Intermission is over and we've got Bobby Heenan bursting in on commentary to talk about the Mega Powers and the Mega Bucks and stays on for the following match. 
The next match is Don Morocco taking on Dino Bravo. Don Morocco is the second person of the night to have their theme music dubbed over um, because he came out to Jesus Christ Superstar, and that was present on the old VHS tape, as was Ravishing Rick Rude's original theme, and I hate the theme they dub over for him. I forgot to mention it earlier, but that is definitely taking place on this tape. Dino's coming out with Frenchie Martin with a sign that says USA is not okay. Really got them. That was a zinger of an insult, that one. I remember this being one of the down points of the show as well. So as we go through, um, and we've got Dino, uh, sorry, Don Morocco with a hip toss and a slam and an arm drag, we'll see whether or not the action lives up to my poor memory of it. They're two big guys with some serious roid bellies going on here to quote OSW. We got a monkey flip from Morocco and then a inverted atomic from Dino. A Russian leg sweep from Morocco on a backdrop. He nails Frenchie Martin off the apron, goes for a slam, but the referee gets in the way, um, catches the feet of, of Bravo. Bravo then hooks on the side suplex, aka sidewalk slam, and picks up the one, two, three. And this match was not as bad as I remember, pretty short. And Morocco actually was really good here. I feel like Don Morocco going back is one of the guys that's better than I remember. So I'm going to say out of the, the two matches so far that I remember being poor, Patera and, and Bad News and this one, they're both better than I remember. Maybe Rick Rude and JYD is a little bit worse than I remember, but not substantially so. Sean Mooney's then with Jesse Ventura and he says he's no fool. If someone wants to give him money, he's going to take it. As we see clips of the Brother Love show where the mega bucks come on and it looks like they're going to intimidate him and instead they start stuffing $100 bills into his jacket pocket. Next up, we've got the Heart Foundation with the Jobber in entrance in the ring to take on Demolition, who come out with Mr. Fuji and the Heart Foundation's old manager, Jimmy Hart, to defend their tag team titles. And this is, um, first of all, Demolition's entrance. It's top five wrestling entrance music for me of all time. I'm sure I've said this many times before, but it is awesome. And this is probably the show why Demolition to me never, like, I never computed that they're a road warrior ripoff like i watched them before i knew the road warriors road warriors my first exposure was as a legion of doom in bright red spikes in the wbf i just never really drew a comparison um demolition to me with a real deal we get um their awesome introduction as i said and then they pull the masks off to reveal the face paint just the whole setup here it, you know really enthralled me as a kid Axe and Brett Hart are in there early with a good exchange. We get a roll up for a two from Brett and then an arm drag. And the anvil comes in and works on the arm. A big drop kick from Brett before um, Smash sends Brett Hart shoulder first to the post. Um, same spot that put Kempatera away earlier. So maybe wouldn't have repeated it, but not that big of a deal. Demolition work over the arm of Brett, including a shoulder breaker from Smash. And then send his arm to the post on the outside. Eventually, Brett comes back with a clothesline and tags in the anvil, who cleans house with some slams and a clothesline, and the crowd absolutely erupt here. We get a plancher from Jim the Anvil Nightheart. So, Brett's on the apron, and they do like the, you know, push the rope, pull the rope thing. But what it is, is effectively Nightheart jumping over the top rope to the floor under one of Demolition, and I'm like, wow, like, a Nightheart plancher in 88 was not something I was remembering from this Big power slam for a two, and then a backbreaker from Brett gets a two. We have a four-man brawl. Fuji has to no-sell on the apron. This is the only bad part of this match. The, the finish here is that Mr. Fuji distracts, and that 
Demolition get the megaphone from Jimmy Hart, who had been chased out earlier, and they nail Brett with it for the one, two, three. But because the timing was a little bit off, the Anvil's punching Fuji repeatedly on the apron without him going down. But they do otherwise pull off the finish quite well with Axe getting the megaphone in, smash nailing Brett, tossing it back to Axe and him hiding it behind the ring steps so the referee doesn't see. Really awesome match. This was just truly phenomenal. This is, I said the Warrior and Honky is probably what got me hooked on wrestling. This was the first like real classic wrestling match I remember. And if you haven't seen this match, I'd definitely say go out of your way to watch it. We then go backstage to Gene Oakland, who's with the Honky Tonk Man again, and needless to say, his attitude is a little bit worse than it was last time we were with them. Weapon to his men, and they retain their title. Right now, let's go to me, Gene Oakland, with the Honky Tonk Man. All right, I'm back in the locker room with the former Intercontinental Champion, the Honky Tonk Man. Doubly disappointing for him tonight. No Brutus the Barber beefcake, and then losing the Intercontinental title to the Ultimate Warrior. I've been ripped off, I've been robbed Ever since I've been in the WWF They've tried to do something like this to me They jumped me from behind They beat me up out there with some warrior I said I'd wrestle anybody But I didn't say I'd wrestle a warrior No, but they send a warrior out there They send somebody out there That's my belt The belt belongs to me I'm the greatest of all time I'll always be the greatest of all time And I don't care what you do, warrior That's my belt The belt belongs to me, Gene It's mine I've held it longer than anybody And I'm going to get it back If it's the last thing I do in the WWF I'm going to get my belt back It's my belt At the risk of sounding negative honky talk, man I think you walked into this building A little overconfident tonight a veritable zoo back in the locker room, but in the meantime, there's action in the garden. Let's go back to Gorilla and the Superstar. From there, we go to our next match, which is Big Boss Man with Slick taking on Coco Beware. And I remember this match um, not only from the pay-per-view, but from a early 2000s WWF magazine, ranking it as one of the top five SummerSlam matches of all time. And... I found that strange, but it is a good match. But yeah, I just remember like it felt like they had to throw something in from the golden era and didn't want to put Hogan or Savage or anyone in WCW in, maybe. Um, so this one made the cut, but it is a good match. Um, Bossman jumps early. We get a drop kick from Coco before he ties Bossman in the ropes, that old Andre spot and beats on him, including like just a big like jumping avalanche to him, which was quite cool. We then get him out of the ropes and then... We get Boss Man, you know, back in control. He whips Coco to the corner. <coughs> Excuse me, and hits a big avalanche with Slick on the outside saying, Ah, told him to do that. Hits a big clothesline but pulls him up off the pin, a slam, and then misses a top rope splash. Coco comes back with a missile drop kick and a big splash for a two, but a big kick out from the Boss Man, who then hits him with a Boss Man slam for the one, two, three. Cuffs Coco to the ropes and beats him with a nightstick, which the commentators are absolutely disgusted by. We then go backstage to Sean Mooney with the Ultimate Warrior. Who has just exploded on the scene here in Madison Square Garden, surprising everyone, and most of all, the Hockey Talk Man referring to the Ultimate Warrior. It is a different story here in the locker room of the Ultimate Warrior, the new Intercontinental Champion, and Warrior, you are now a champion of the World Wrestling Honky Talk Man, you thought it was something like out of a comic book, brother, but we're talking about real life. I was sitting in parts unknown, waiting for the next spaceship to hire planes, and the lightning bolts came down from the skies, and the Warrior spoke, and they said, make it to the garden. 
Well, the Ultimate Warrior showed, and Honky Tonk Man, you gave the challenge, and the Ultimate Warrior, and the little warriors with all the painted faces rose to the challenge, and they conquered. I'm taking all the little warriors through all the darkness and all the pain, and Honky Tonk Man, if you want a piece of me, or anybody thinks they can take on all the warriors, I'm not hard to find. I'll be on the next spaceship to Parson. No! Well, the new intercontinental champion, the ultimate warrior. Big days ahead for him. My first experience of a crazy ultimate warrior promo, and it didn't disappoint. So if you want to find him, you'll be on the next spaceship to Parts Unknown. From there, we go to Hercules taking on Jake the Snake Roberts. And Bobby Heen doesn't come out with Hercules, despite being his manager and the commentary team really play this up here. It will likely be um, used for a future angle, so stay tuned. Jake hits a knee lift to start with and goes for a DDT, but Hercules bails. We get a back suplex from the Herc, a knee lift, an elbow, and a snap mare and a clothesline all amount to a two count at the end of it. Commentary team speculate, as I said, on Heenan being stuck or lost and stuck in an elevator. We get a long chin lock. This is a very slow match before Jake powers out with a jawbreaker. He hits a short clothesline. Herc backdrops out of the DDT before Jake finally does lock in the DDT for the 1-2-3. DDT very over with the crowd, but this match was nothing special. We go to a video package on our main event and what led up to it, and then it's time for the Mega Powers versus the Mega Bucks. So much buzz for this one, and it's just the crowd are beyond hyped. Ventura early doors sends the managers to the floor and won't let the match get started until he swaps the tag ropes from the corners they've been in all night to the neutral corners. Just a good sort of early flex of authority here. When we're finally ready to get started, Andre catches Macho by surprise by starting the match. Hulk Hogan does come back in and hits an atomic drop on DiBiase. Macho with a top rope axe handle. Ventura is arguing with everyone and really enforcing the law here. A big choke by Andre. Hogan and Ted double clothesline one another. We get a backdrop from Macho and a hot shot and a top rope axe handle. Andre with some corner shoulders and a big sit on the Macho man. The poor bastard there having Andre sat on him at this point. A suplex from Ted gets a two and a backbreaker. We get a hot tag from Macho to Hogan who comes in with a clothesline, a suplex, clotheslines Andre and puts a sleeper on um, the million dollar man. And then Macho Man comes off the top rope to eat Andre's boot. Andre with some headbutts. And then Hogan and the faces end up on the floor with Andre and, and DiBiase stood tall. Liz then takes her moment to get on the apron. And I know what's coming here. She burned into the childhood memory. She takes off her skirt. Um, this just absolutely freezes DiBiase and Andre in their tracks. Macho and Hogan on the floor with a big handshake. <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about there, that will just, you'll instantly visualize that. Macho comes off the top with an axe handle to Andre, knocking him out. Hogan slams DiBiase, the Macho elbow off the top, the Hogan leg drop, and one, two, Ventura freezes, and Macho grabs his hand and slaps it to the mat the third time. Help, a little help for the one, two, three, and the Mega Powers defeat the Mega Bucks and pose to a very, very happy Madison Square Garden crowd. This is absolutely electric. It wasn't the greatest match in the world, but it was so hot, and it was a good match that, you know, you just forgive any of its shortcomings it's absolutely brilliant and what a way to cap off the first pay-per-view event that i ever watched 
that's it for the show. We don't have anything to compare it to. So what I'm going to do is just ask a couple of questions or, or pick a couple of highlights here for everyone. Um, first thing I'm going to ask whenever I do these solo shows now, is it better or worse than I remember if I've watched it before or better or worse than I was expecting if I haven't? And I'm going to say as much as I expected this to be an absolute top show, it's slightly better because... Of all the matches I remember not being that great, two of them are better than I remember. Everything that I loved holds up perfectly. Nothing was worse where I went, oh no, that was actually pretty crap and you were just a stupid kid. So for me, SummerSlam 88, better than I recall, which is a pleasant surprise. Best bit, obviously, Honky Tonk and the Warrior. That captured me for life. Absolutely loved it. But there are quite a few highlights on the show. Um, The opening contest is really good. Um, the main event's really good, and my match of the night is actually the title defense of Demolition versus the Heart Foundation. Um, several other good matches. Also, shout out to the Powers of Pain match. That was quite good as well um, for a squash anyway. But yeah, the, the Demolition Heart Foundation match, really phenomenal bout. Uh, made both teams instant like top top guys in my mind um certainly playing figures and and watching wrestling and everything for years to come demolition and the heart foundation were in my top five tag teams for a long time they might even still be um certainly i'd have to consider the rockers lod and new age outlaws and have a think about anyone else that i really really loved but I think they'd both be certainly top 10, but probably still top five tag teams ever for me. And I'm, I was a big fan of tag team wrestling, particularly in the golden era. Um, just some of the teams you had, the Bulldogs, you know, the Powers of Pain or In Express, really, really great teams. And these two seem to sort of stand a little bit above everybody else. Anyway, that will do it for this show. Um, hit you with like 45 minutes of overwhelming positivity with maybe one or two small bits of negativity mixed in. So certainly flipping the lid on the on the normal way this show goes. Um, this wasn't actually meant to be the show, the next show drop, but um, Duncan and I are catching up very soon to review Thunder and SmackDown. He actually got COVID and then my wife got COVID as well. So both ends of the world, we've been really sick. Um now that I think we're, we're back up and running sometime in the next couple of weeks, we should hook up for that. And as I mentioned at the very start, the 96 next lot of pay-per-views are up. So I'll be carrying on down that timeline again as well. Anyway, as usual, thanks everyone for listening and I will speak to you all very soon.